What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 54 of the Game Explained Real Talk podcast. As always, I'm your host, Derek Bittner, and I'm joined once again by Ash Paulson. And once again, we were this close to having Andre <laughs> on the podcast, but uh, it is ending. It, we are getting close to the end of tax season. He has to meet with his financial advisor, and we need to get this done because we have other work to do. Like, you have stuff that you need to do after this. I have stuff I need to get done after this. It's a... Uh, Lots of work to go around all around. So he's promising. We'll see. We'll see if we can hold him to this. He's promising next week and next few weeks after that. We'll see if we can hold him to it. He's kind of hard to pin down if you haven't noticed. Yeah, well, that's for sure. No, and I, and I hope he's able to keep to that because I I have mentioned this to you guys before, but I'm sure we've all forgot, forgotten about it by now. But I'm going to be in Japan uh, starting. I'm going to be in Japan from April 8th to April 16th. So for that week... Hopefully, Andre can actually be free because I will not be there. <laughs> I won't be here because I'll be in Kyoto with uh, my wife. We're just taking a kind of a week to go explore Kyoto and Osaka and all the surrounding areas. So that's going to be a lot of fun. It should be, except, you know, you can't go because Andre won't be around. So you have to be here to do the podcast. I have to be me. here. I'll just have to be like, hey, sorry, babes. You know what? I'm just, we have to cancel our tickets to Japan. I mean, yeah, I got to be here for the podcast. This podcast so. is way more important. These like yeah. Look at these Patreon backers. They're waiting for <laughs> exactly. us. And the people that watch us afterwards. Uh, that's true. How could you let them down, Ash? You're just a monster. I mean, I feel like I feel like I actually owe Andre in this sense because you know, since he's gone for like five to six weeks at a time, I feel like nobody's even going to care or mind <laughs> if I'm if I'm gone for one because I mean that's just like a mere sliver of the time that Andre's been away. So I think I can get away with it. Mm-hmm. And even if you're both away, I'll just do a solo podcast again or that's something true. like that. that. Yeah, we'll figure. I'll figure something out. But anyway, uh, how how's your week been, Ash? Um, it's been okay. It's just been mainly characterized by work and playing ukulele. I've been playing a ton of ukulele to have it finished uh, by in time for the review embargo, which lifts on Tuesday, uh, Tuesday, April 4th, I believe. Mm-hmm. So that's coming up. Um, I'm getting toward the end of the game now. And one of those things you mentioned that I needed to do after we finish here is play more ukulele. So, um, yeah, obviously I can't talk about that in too much detail yet, but I have been playing the full game and, um, you can look forward to my review on Tuesday. Other than that, I've been, uh, of course, because of that, falling behind in other games like Zelda. <laughs> still working on Zelda, still on my way to the first Divine Beast, which for me is going to be the Goron Divine Beast. Uh, I'm in the Southern Mine. Uh, I think I've got found about 58 shrines. I've been playing the game for like, 50, I think it says 45 hours or more on my Switch uh, profile. And I haven't even, I, I haven't gotten one Divine Beast yet. That's how much I've been exploring. It's... This I, I've got to get back to Zelda so I can finish it, and then I can move on to like I want to play Horizon. Persona Five's coming out. Uh, I still I've got uh, I've got FF15 episode Gladiolus waiting in the wings because I got the season pass. Like that's the first season pass I've ever bought, and I have episode Gladio waiting for me, and I haven't even gotten to play it yet. So I got to finish Zelda and just move on to all this other stuff that I've got to play. There's so much good stuff to play. Oh, that's the, that's totally the case it's it's so odd like i was uh i've been basically the same way the, the funny thing is we all got uh we were all fortunate enough very uh and uh platonic was sent to us all a copy of ukulele right. and andre and i have been playing it on pc uh you've been playing it on xbox one and sort of experiencing it in, in that way and i've been playing it on occasion i've made my way through maybe half the game so far a little less than half i think and sure. uh you know so it's it's I you know obviously can't say much. I don't want to say anything that's you know break embargo or anything like that. But it is surprising how meaty the game is. Like there is a yeah, lot to is, do. 
There's a lot to do. The worlds are big. There's yeah. There's definitely a lot of content here. This is. Uh, I feel like it's the kind of game that would take a lot. I mean, even even Platonic uh, says in the the email they sent us that they estimate around thirty plus hours of playtime, and I, and I could totally for a hundred percent, and mm. I could totally see that. I mean, I feel like I've been playing the game for about twenty five to thirty hours. Well, no, I would say maybe twenty to twenty five, and I'm toward the end of the game, not necessarily on track for a hundred percent, but I would say. 80-ish percent is what I'll finish with initially. And, you know, that's pretty hefty playtime. Yeah. I, I think I'm going to come in uh, probably around 20-ish hours, maybe 25 at the most for 100%. Yeah. Just because I've been very thorough making my way through and, uh, you know, I, I have a pretty good idea of what I need to do. I have a pretty good plan of what I intend to do in order to 100% the game uh, and whatnot. But again, like you, it's just balancing all this other stuff. And I know. these games and whatnot, it's it's crazy because the one thing one of the things I I wanted to do this past week and I was just pushing towards it as as much as I could uh, was base was finish uh, Breath of the Wild, not necessarily necessarily complete it, but finish right. it. But my, my also my definition definition of finishing it was finding all 120 shrines, getting the reward from that up, upgraded to its max, uh, and then of course taking on. Um, the uh, the the final boss and doing all of that and mm-hmm. uh, I, I I accomplished that it was it was really satisfying it was really cool uh, and I I really enjoyed my playtime with Breath of the Wild but I still have like fifteen side quests to do yet and I think I'm sitting at maybe two hundred and forty Korok seeds or something like that so yeah not even a third of the way done <laughs> with Korok well, you know- seeds. Well, you know the the obvious question that you say you really enjoyed it, but then that's great. But would you say you loved it, or would you say you liked it a lot, or would you say you just liked it? I mean, I got it. That's the obvious question here. <laughs> I loved it. I would have yeah. I would have given a love. Uh, I can I can see Andre's complaints, but I also because I was collect- I think I collected more Korok seeds than him, and I know he said that it, the expansion doesn't help. But it helped a lot, <laughs> for me at least. Yeah, you know what? I actually have to say I agree with you. I Now, of course, bearing in mind that I haven't even done one Divine Beast yet, I still haven't played the game for 50 hours, so I've gotten a really good sense for it. And I have to say, I see where Andre's coming from, but for me so far, if I were to review it this very second, it, w- it would be a love it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's this game's just been blowing me away, and I don't even like open-world games, and it's still blowing me away. Mm-hmm. And I have to say... The inventory, the extra inventory slots do make a difference, at least in my opinion. I'm not saying Andre was wrong because he had his own experience and that's perfectly valid. But I have to say, even having like four or five extra weapon slots, like melee weapon (laughs) slots, has made all the difference for me. And like, I feel like the inventory management isn't as big a deal anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it can be a bit of a pain going through all the different pages to try to find that one thing you need. But after a while, after this 110 hours that I played, uh, I think it's around there somewhere. Uh, I, you know, you get a sense for where everything is, and yeah, right. you, you know, just it's in your head. And for weapons, like it's funny, you get that extra slot. It's like cool, I can hold more stuff. It gets filled immediately, and you're still <laughs> exactly. going through because I'm like, I don't want to break all my good weapons. I need to use these lower weapons, and then I want to have extra spaces for the rods just in case I need to do this thing or that thing, or uh, I want to have this thing available in case this happens. And it's just yeah, that can get to you. the. I, I'd say my major, my only major complaint with Breath of the Wild, um, is the bosses. 
I think I've heard that the bosses like I they start out fine like 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 when you go after your first divine beast it's actually hard to say depending on how long you wait and how much right. else other stuff you do <laughs> but it's the thing is it's totally possible to become overpowered and some of these bosses yeah. can be a little tricky there's one that took me a wait uh, I think I think it was yeah the Goron one that took me a little bit to figure out the trick of uh, what I needed to do for its second half of the fight okay and okay. Uh, the game eventually spells it spells it out for him like. Well, of course. <laughs> wow. uh, it's one of those things like, oh, you idiot. How could you not think of that? But it, it was just one of those things that once you get the handle down on how to that, how you need to fight these bosses, it's not that it's not as like exciting as the traditional Zelda boss. And yeah, the traditional yeah. Zelda boss can get a little samey as well because use the one item that you got in order to defeat it. But I feel like there be, could be a nice mix between the two where it's open but also epic in the same way that the traditional Zelda bosses are. Yeah, no, I, I think I, I've basically heard that as a common complaint. Like, I, I don't think I've talked to anyone who actually says the bosses were great. So I'm not expecting a whole lot from the bosses. I, I've been able to keep myself mostly unspoiled boss-wise, so I don't mm-hmm. – like, I know what they're called. Generally, I know the theme, the element theme. Like, I get that. But I've, I've basically been able to stay away from the actual fights and, and the actual mechanics of the fights. So mm-hmm. I am more or less going in completely fresh there. So mm-hmm. I'll be curious to see how I what I think of it. But I have certainly heard the common complaint that the bosses are kind of mad. Yeah. And with me doing all 120 shrines, I had max hearts. <laughs> yeah. I had, uh, you know, I, you can't get max stamina as well. The best you can get is right. uh, two and two-fifths. Stamina, right? Which is plenty, <laughs> or twenty-seven hearts, I think, right? Something, yeah, yeah something like that, yeah. Twenty-seven um, hearts and uh, three full stamina bars. But by the time I went in to fight the final boss, I had very little trouble. <laughs> yeah, well, that's kind of why I started. Like, I was like, you know what? I could have kept going and exploring, and I was having a good time. But I'm like, you know what? I need to start a. I need to start doing these divine beasts so I can be part of the conversation. Like, I I can't keep avoiding this conversation because the game's been out for as long as it has now. And I've just, you know, been playing the game I have. Like, I want to be able to talk about this stuff. So that's why I was like, okay, I need to just drop what I'm doing and focus and at least do a Divine Beast. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I'm doing now. But it's just like, I don't know. Like, well, the other reason, too, though, is because I felt like I was getting OP. Like, I'm at the point now where I feel like I can basically, I don't have to be worried about enemies except for, like, blue Lynels and above that. Like, Mm -hmm. I, I came across a blue Lynel and I got my ass handed to me <laughs> even at the level i'm at and i'm like okay so I, i'm definitely feeling pretty confident and pretty strong but there are still enemies out there who will at me just completely lay me flat oh easily but yeah below that though even like the regular lionels i was having very little trouble with at mm-hmm. the level i'm at so i was starting to think okay maybe i'm getting a little strong maybe i need to like to keep the fun factor in balance maybe i should start going to do at least a divine beast mm-hmm. and the thing that will yeah. happen is as you complete divine beasts stronger enemies will appear Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, so that's how they sort of okay. keep the balance and make sure everything seems okay. a challenge as you go around. And that's probably that's why cool. things are going to seem a little easy because you already beat some of these challenges when they were at their lowest challenge. So right, it'll be right. it'll be interesting to see how it all breaks down for you. But I I liked my method of pick a direction, go that direction, explore as much of that area as you can, move on to the next. And uh-huh. uh, it just it kept things fresh, kept things interesting. I wasn't backtracking at all. I was just constantly making forward progress. And that's what I really liked about the way I, I handled everything. And uh, right. it, it turned out to be a really fun experience. Although uh, definitely, definitely, definitely find all the memories before you oh. finish the game. 
Because 100%. No way. Like, that's that's the most important. Other than, like, th- that and the shrines mm-hmm. are the two things that I have to find all of. Mm-hmm. Like, and before I beat the game, absolutely the stories, like, the, the memories. That was always non-negotiable. <laughs> Finding every memory. Like, the story is so important to me for this game, like, just in general, that, it, such as it is. I know it's not probably the best Zelda story out there from what I've heard in terms of how it's presented, but it's still important to me. So... Yeah, there is no way I was going to finish this game without seeing all the memories. Yeah. Oh, cool. Good. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Is, is that what is that the determinant? Is that what determines what ending you get? I no, I don't think so. I think it's I think the determinant is probably how many divine beasts you've done before you go into oh, the final okay. boss. That'd be my gotcha. guess. I haven't noticed it. Honestly, I can't imagine the final the the ending being that different based on what really? I really okay. Yeah. I, okay. I, I, I wonder what they were talking about then when they were talking about there were like two separate endings. I'm not sure either. I'm not sure anybody's really huh. addressed that or not. I'm sure somebody's shown like how maybe how the ending is slightly different. Like, yeah, I am honestly not sure, but it's 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 sort of whatever to me, because to me, the true ending is Link doing everything. <laughs> you know? Right. Of course. Yeah, that's the doing yeah. all this stuff. So yeah, we'll, we'll see. But uh, yeah, otherwise, um, haven't been able to play much I haven't really gone to the movies there hasn't really been that many good movies like I thought about going to see Power Rangers but it was uh-huh. like I was going to go to the Tuesday showing and then I when I thought about it I was like oh wait it's not Tuesday it's Wednesday <laughs> oh well that'll that'll hamstring so, that attempt yeah. yeah exactly and I'm not hearing the best things about Ghost in the Shell I was like man there was such a dearth of movies to go see and I kind of feel like getting out of the house and going to see a movie but there's nothing really for me to see right now so yeah to- and I mean after like for me last as a, as you know the last movie I saw was Logan so any movie I see after Logan is going to have to be really good to, <laughs> to stand up to that you know mm-hmm. well actually the movie I do see after that is going to be Fate of the Furious which as you know I'm personally very excited about because I, I love that series Mm-hmm. Uh, for you know, just despite all of its that, ridiculousness, that'll probably and be the next that, one I see. <laughs> yeah, I'm super excited. Like I've been seeing all the billboards around. And I'm like, okay, I'm getting back in the mindset for like that team again to do some crazy stuff. And I mean, I was I was already going to see it because I've seen the other seven movies. But that moment and in, in the late the last trailer where The Rock literally uses his own muscle to ch- change the trajectory of the torpedo. <laughs> he lifts a torpedo. Like, come on. In what other series is does the rock lift a torpedo to change its tra- its its trajectory? That's ridiculous. <laughs> that is true. Absolutely insane, and I love it. Like it's yeah. Uh huh. Did you see that Dom's car is being added to uh, uh, Rocket League? No, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. That's that's awesome. <laughs> I love that so much. So yeah, you can actually r- drive around in Dom's car for Rocket League. <laughs> is it like one of those? Is it one of the uh, random rewards you can get? I'm not sure. I I just saw oh, okay. like a a thing saying, "Hey, you can get this car." I'm like, "Oh, that's kind of cool." And then you're talking about, it, "I was like, oh, Ash might like this. He likes Rocket League. He likes uh, uh, Fast yeah. and Furious." So <laughs> there you go. God, like Rocket uh, Rocket League has done like the textbook perfect job of expanding that game and adding new stuff to it not asking people for crazy amounts of money for it. Like, wow, talk about the textbook example of how to build your game. Mm, there's a, there's been a lot of examples of that, I feel, recently. But with Rocket League, I think Overwatch is doing the same thing. Uh, True, as yeah, how, it is. How they're handling it. Yeah, you can still do the, the microtransactions in order to get rewards, but you really don't need to do that. Uh, you know, to, right. It depends on your fan. Splatoon, of course, was a good a great example of that. Even Mario Kart, to a, to a degree. Was, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so it's it's it seems like some companies are learning, which is definitely good. <laughs> and some people would disagree with me on this, but I would also add Smash to that list because I guess some people would say it, it costs way too much to buy the DLC. But 
Uh, I, I don't know. I kind of disagree, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. what are you going to do? Yeah, but you're biased, though. That's how it goes. <laughs> I suppose. I mean, I guess I could be, but I, I don't know. I still feel like uh, no, you're right. 199 it, for a stage. Come on. Yeah, it's not that bad. Is that really? It's, that's, a, that's a Big Mac. It's, it's more. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. A Big Mac is more than that. Uh-huh. So I'm just like. Eh. No, you got to get a Mac Jr. <laughs> a Mac Jr. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, I think it's. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I totally feel you about the other games coming out, though. Like, going back to what oh, you said right. about that, because here's the thing. Yeah. I went I went to. Um, uh, my local mall just to run some errands and I was looking around at the GameStop just because I haven't been in a while and I realized while I was there that the Nonary Games collection had come out. Oh, yeah. And I have I played the first one, loved it, never really played Virtue's Last Reward and I was like, well, there's a bunch of stuff added to the first one. I've never played the second one, so let's do it and I can pick up the third one eventually later on. Uh-huh. Um, so I was going to get that, but then I was also lo- there and I saw Near Automata, Horizon Zero Dawn. It's true, yeah. I didn't even think about Near, yeah, and that's doing amazingly well, too. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, uh, and then while I was also there, I saw and remembered that, oh, yeah, the Danganronpa collection came out. Right. And so I'm like, oh, I want to get all these games. I do not have time to play them, so I'm going to hold off on <laughs> Near and Horizon because I can just see those price going down and i can get yeah. a better deal later on uh however for Ropa and um nonary games i'm like i got those immediately because i could totally see them becoming quite rare uh in the future and right. having a hard time and it's, it's a good thing i did too because i got the last copy of both of them oh well there you go yeah and so yeah, yeah. I, I can't i don't know when i'll get a chance to play them again <laughs> play them like actually play through them anytime soon uh, right. Hopefully, relatively soon. But um, yeah, next game I'm probably playing is Persona Five. <laughs> no, I mean, well, and of course, we neither of us have addressed the other elephant in the room, which is the fact that Kingdom Hearts 1.5 oh, yeah. plus 2.5 came out on Tuesday this week. Yeah, and yes, I know they're not technically new games, but for me, I haven't even I never got to play Kingdom Hearts 2 Final Mix or Birth by Sleep Final Mix on PS3. I just never got around to it. So these are games that I desperately want to have the time to play. Like I so badly want to just carve out 60 to 70 hours just to do <laughs> full playthroughs of two, Kingdom Hearts 2 Final Mix and Birth by Sleep Final Mix in 60 frames per second. Like, I want to play these games so badly again. But with what time? Mm-hmm. We just got done talking about all these other games that w- that are coming out, and we didn't even talk about Kingdom Hearts. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just... There's way too much <laughs> yeah. good stuff to play right now. I, straight up. I saw Kingdom Hearts there, and again, I was thinking, well, it's <laughs> yeah. not going to be rare anytime soon. Exactly. I'll wait. That's why price will go down. I'll get it then. Yeah, because I was so tempted to buy it, and I was like, "Well, but why?" Like, exactly. Honestly, Ash, why buy it? You're playing ukulele. You you still want to finish Zelda. You want to play Horizon. Like, come on, Ash, mm. don't buy this. Exactly. Right now. Like, it's true. Especially when I have our, both of them on PS3 already. Like, right. I, I try, I'm going to double dip. Well, triple dip. Yeah, at this point, it's going to happen. Yeah. But I might as well make the price a little bit better for myself. Square Enix has gotten enough of my money at this point for this franchise. I hear, yeah. So, Seriously, uh, you know, I, I, they can wait <laughs> until I yeah. can get get actually pick it up because there's again there's so much else coming out and I'm like I'm hearing so many good things about Persona Five and I'm looking forward yeah. to checking that out myself and it's it's gonna be good I'm, I'm looking it's ah, again there it's just 2017 has been so good when it comes to uh, games and movies in my opinion. 
it's it's really been like that's why I can't help but just like laugh and and then promptly ignore people on like on forums or even on Twitter who are like you know man games are so much better in the good old days not not that they weren't I mean games are awesome both in the good old, old days and now like my whole point is just those people who are like oh man games suck now there's no good there's nothing good to play and games used to be so much better what what we look at the games out right now are you crazy uh-huh. <laughs> it's not true at all. Ash, I think you're becoming an old man because you said this exact same thing last Did week. Did I? Yes. Oh man, see, my my memory's going. It's yeah, uh, it's my memories. This is this is how it starts. Like I was having beginning deja of the vu fall. throughout that entire rant. I was like, no, oh, and, and, and I know I obviously talked right, about Logan before but... and Fate of the Furious. So I just think I'll just have to talk about those those two or three things every week now and act like I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's like, don't worry, kids. He's just losing his mind. That's all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jeez. Oh, boy. But otherwise, I'm trying to think anything else going on. Not really. Uh, it's just kind of been same old, same old. So let's go ahead yeah. and get to the news. So uh, first up is uh, Konami. Uh, this actually happened last night. Uh, Konami announced free DLC for Super Bomberman R. Uh, they didn't specify exactly what's coming, but they did mention stages, characters, and stuff like that. So, wow. <laughs> like, Everything about this headline is just it is just really wrong to me. Kona- First, you lost me at Konami. Uh-huh. Konami did what? Other than anything other than, like, pachinko machines and Bimani? Like, mm-hmm. Konami announces anything. You already have my attention. But then you've, like, free DLC for this new Bomberman game. There, Did you ever imagine you'd see that headline? In 2017, not really, because it was like, amazing that what was first of all it was amazing that we got Bomberman at all, exactly uh, in, in his cute form and with this just amazing art style to it, uh, yeah, for the cutscenes at least. And then of course they're adding more content to it. They did an update to fix the. I, I haven't played it since I did, they did that update, so I'm not quite sure how different it is or how much it's right. been improved. But still, the fact that they're continuing to work on this game is amazing to me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, and not only that, but the the fact that they said uh, that the sales of Super Bomberman R were like way more than any other Bomberman game in the past, like what twenty years or something, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, apparently it's doing well for them, and Konami is doing the right thing by continuing to support it for free. Like they're not charging people for the DLC. They're not, you know, and they got that patch out in short order. I mean, and we've seen how long companies can sometimes take to patch out really problematic issues. And I mean, for as much as we've had to say about Konami negatively and complain about them, and I think that's all valid, I gotta tip my hat to them. They have done really well supporting Super Bomberman R and patching it within in a timely manner. Like, I'm I'm happy to see them doing this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I think they, uh, I think this real DLC will help a lot because it makes the package much more attractive. One of the common complaints people have had about Bomberman R is they think fifty dollars is too much for the game, which I'm not here to right. argue one way or the other whether there's enough content to justify that cost or not. I, it's, I can't really say for sure. Uh, sure. Well, and personally speaking, that's why I took a, a pass for now. Like I always planned on going back and getting it later, mm-hmm. but you know, once the price had dropped, but I just personally could not justify spending fifty dollars on what I felt was that amount of content. You know, mm-hmm. and that makes sense. That's you know, yeah, perfectly fine to make that choice. Look at the content and see. But by adding sure. more content, all of a sudden it looks a lot, a lot more attractive because hey, there's this much extra stuff to do. These more totally. more levels to experience that kind of thing. Yeah, so I mean, 
uh, Konami's going about this in all the right ways, and really all they need to do now is just announce a new Silent Hill made <laughs> by the ja- by a Japanese team, not a Western studio. Like a legit, get, you know, contract Akira Yamaoka again. Get him back to do a legit Silent Hill. Then Konami, we can talk about you being back in my good graces for good. Like that's, <laughs> but let's just give me a give me a legit Silent Hill. Bring it back. Then okay, and a two D Castlevania. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. Igarashi's not there anymore because he's making Bloodstain. Yeah. So maybe don't do that. You know what? Leave that alone. Let him do his thing. I don't want the yeah. But Silent Hill, then we'll talk. Yeah. yeah we'll see yeah. what happens. But hey, it's 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 better sign from Konami than we've seen in a it long is. time. So we'll no, it really I'll take is. it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the next bit of news, as speaking of patches, uh, Breath of the Wild has also gotten a patch, which has improved the frame rate. And Andre actually did a test himself, running around in grass right. and all that stuff, and it seems to really improve it. Now, I noticed the frame rate hiccups a little bit um, when it came when running around, but I'm also really bad at noticing that kind of stuff. I'm kind of notorious mm-hmm. amongst you guys for not noticing that kind, <laughs> right. of, that kind of thing. Although I did pick it up uh, uh, on occasion, like when the, sure. whenever the, it kind of dropped, but it never bugged me too much. The only time it became really obvious is when I froze Moblins and then hit them with one of my other weapons to do like increased damage. And the, like, the game would always sort of pause at that moment where I hit them and then sort of catch yeah. up and then send them flying. So... I'd be curious. Well, I, yeah, yeah. I wonder how if that if that's been fixed or not. But otherwise, it seems like it's done a great job of really improving the experience. Yeah, well, that's what I was thinking too. Because as I've as I understand it, and as, as I've read it, that's a separate issue, which it has to do with the game having problem or having problems calculating the ragdoll physics for defeated moblins. Mm. I believe that's what's going on. So, like, if you, it's not necessarily freezing them, but any time a moblin dies and is like falling off a mountain or something, there's apparently a problem where the game has trouble determining how that moblin's body should fall and that's what causes those like seconds long freezes that we, that you've been seeing when that happens because i've had that happen to me too and i so i don't know if that has been addressed as well or if it's just the overall performance issues that have been addressed i'd be curious to go like defeat a moblin now and see what happens mm-hmm. yeah i you know it's it's really funny because like days after i beat breath of the wild hey here you go patch improvement it's i like, know I, I i mean i might come back and finish up the rest of the uh side quest but again other games are calling now so yeah Bre- i might be hanging up on breath of the wild for now and i feel good about it because i was at nearly 50 percent completion so i'm like that's me you know, most of that is korok seed so i'm feeling pretty good about my progress so i'm okay with moving on Oh yeah, no, totally. And I guess for me, I guess I'll reap the reap the rewards though, because I still obviously have to make my way through the main parts of the game in terms of story beats and divine beasts and stuff, and I'll be doing it with better performance. So that's nice. Yeah, that's it helps to wait sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's it's cool that they put it out there. It's awesome that it's apparently doing so well. So uh, hopefully, we'll again continue to see this kind of support for these games and just see improvement after improvement. You know, it's funny, talking about this completely reminds me of something that I forgot to mention about what we've been doing. Oh. And I, I did take, like, th- an hour to play Chapter 13, Verse 2 of Final Fantasy XV. Uh, because alongside Episode Gladio, they updated Chapter 13 with, like, extra cutscenes and, uh, and a whole, like, a, a different branch where you play as Gladio instead. Uh, and you kind of get extra cutscenes with him that you don't get when you play as Noctis in that chapter. Mm. So that's kind of like their long, they've been promising that they would improve chapter 13 with extra story context. And it was, eh, it was fine. I mean, they, (laughs) they, they, it was very, it felt very forced. Like the, the cutscenes and the story content did not feel natural or 
you know, organic at all. It literally felt like they just slapped them one know, there through these, yeah, <laughs> through these cutscenes together, slap chat, slapdash, just to like, and you know, or mechanically answer these questions that people had after playing the main game because the game didn't do a good enough job explaining its own story, <laughs> and. You know, it was cool. As it also serves as a quick preview or primer of episode Gladio's gameplay, and I enjoyed that. Like, I I like playing as Gladio, and it made me excited for the DLC. But they're it, they're not fooling anybody with this chapter thirteen verse two nonsense. It was not. It didn't add anything <laughs> useful, and like it was so hastily put together, and you could tell like it didn't really help the story at all, mm-hmm. in my opinion. So that is, you know, I, I do like though. Um, apart from that, though, 15 continues to get patched, and as I continue to do the post-game stuff slowly, I've been able to kind of enjoy those improvements. Like, you know, again, the, the 60 frame, or the unlocked frame rate patch, which I liked, and now you can uh, take your chocobo, and you can actually ride up on the giant arches in the Sky region, and, like, see, you know, get, like, a whole huge view of the whole region. Like, they're opening up new areas for you to go to, which is pretty cool. It sounds it's funny. I've I played Final Fantasy fifteen for two hours and then something else distracted me and I've not played it since. So it really is just it comes down to what to you have to choose what you're gonna pay attention to these days. You really do, <laughs> it you know. It really does. You have to choose what's most important to you. Heaven help you if you're trying to keep follow it all. <laughs> like it's impossible. Yeah. It really is. So yeah. but yeah, uh speaking of well, not even speaking of that, but uh going back to the switch real quick, um more I guess confusion <laughs> uh, yeah. with Lego City Undercover on the Switch. Somebody got a hold of the game for review uh, on um, on Reddit and uh, was posted the box art of the game, which said it, uh, that internet was required and that it would also need a 13 gigabyte download for the retail copy. Right. Which seemed insane because this is the retail copy. Why am I downloading more than half the game? Because I think it's only seven gigs on the um, on the Switch virtual on the Switch eShop at the moment. I, something like that. I don't know. I haven't looked in. I haven't looked into it too closely or anything like that as far as the digital side of things. I was more focused on the physical side because that's what I buy. Um, right. And it, like. Warner Brothers issued a statement after that saying, no, 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 it, it does not require uh, internet connection, doesn't require a download. And then they clarified once again, with which sort of just left me confused because like, then why is all this stuff say it? What's it have to do with all that? And they finally issued a statement after that that clarified everything else. And I'm like, oh, thank God. Where it's basically just a printing error on the box. How I got so that's what it is. It's a printing error. Okay. Yeah. So somehow, some way on this on the Switch box art, they have the internet required and this 13 gigabyte download. How that happened, I have no idea. <laughs> oh, I mean, I feel like, and that's I feel like that's one of the more innocent box art mistakes we've seen of late. Like, I mean, remember uh, Nartuo Ultimate Shippuden? That's true. Like that was the thing, and then all of Capcom's box art gaffes. Like, I feel <laughs> you know, there's like misspelling the name of your own game on the spine of the box and then there's you know getting one part about you know eShop downloads like one of the little things in the back of the box wrong and I feel like that's much easier to get wrong than the name of your game you know mm-hmm. but it's still obviously though it, it is kind of a it's, a it's a nice case study on what one tiny little innocent mistake on the on the box art of a game <laughs> can lead to because I mean that's a genuine point of confusion I would be if I would had any interest in buying Lego City Undercover and was concerned about space on my Switch, that would actually 
turn me away from a purchase because how would I know? Yeah, exactly. I think and that, yeah. that's why I think a, a, a gaffe like this on a, on the box art is much more devastating than yeah. misspelling the title or having the That's true. The in its own way, it's, 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 it's less embarrassing, but it's more destructive. Exactly. Yeah. Because, you know, I'll see it. It's like, oh, that's cute. They misspelled it. Or, oh, that's cute. They they, they <laughs> yeah. took the box art. They took the cover art from an IGN thing, <laughs> you know, with, right. the, uh, with Okami. Okami. <laughs> um, but having misinformation about your game on it, I think, is yeah. way more devastating. And I think turned a lot of people off very quickly. So hopefully they're able to get people to realize that, no, 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 no. This is just a printing error. This is how it's going to go, especially because, you know, it's being released on multiple systems. It started as a Wii U exclusive. Now it's coming out on Switch, PS4, Xbox One, PC, everything under the sun like every other Lego game. And this also comes at a time, and this is, uh, you know, this is not WB Games' fault, but this also comes at a time where, for some reason, Switch versions of multi-platform games are more expensive than others. They're coming in at, like, $10 more in some cases than PS4 and Xbox One versions of games. So... You know, combine, combining this higher price point with some Switch games with this this misinformation, not a good look necessarily, and it's not it's not a good way to get people to gravitate toward the Switch versions of games because why? You know? Yeah, it it also made people wonder about WB. It was like, oh, they just skip out on like a bigger cartridge for the for the Switch and to save right. money. Which I'm really glad it was not the case. Mm. Like, that would have been so ridiculous if that was the case. And thankfully, it seems as if WB Games are innocent here, other than their obviously obvious misprint. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. thank goodness that was cleared up. Uh, that's, you know, that, that was an interesting little saga for the week. <laughs> yeah. So, yep. On the, speak, continuing on with the Switch, our final little thing about the Switch. Uh, the sales of the system have nearly doubled in Japan. Which is crazy right. to think about, considering there really hasn't been a big release. It's still just mainly Zelda, as far as your big releases, and then of course the other right. supplemental stuff for um, for everything else. But it sold seventy eight thousand four hundred and forty one units for for the week of March twentieth to March twenty sixth. The next closest thing was the new three DS XL at twenty nine thousand, and then the PS four at twenty five thousand. And after that, it goes down to, like the next after that it goes down to the Vita, which was seven thousand seventy five hundred. So the Vita is still actually doing rather well in Japan. Yeah, compare that to. <laughs> This is just me finding this stuff interesting. Uh, the Wii U sold 411 uh, uh-huh. systems, while yeah. the Xbox One stole, <laughs> sold 115. Yeah. That's, wow. What I want to know, I want to know, I want to meet those 115 Japanese, new Japanese Xbox One owners and just ask them why. Not that I hate the Xbox One, <laughs> but the, it, it absolutely does not cater to Japanese interests whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Like, even a little bit. Or, if it does, it so does the PS4 in all the same ways, but better and more. Mm. So I'm just wondering, I just want to talk to them like, hey, what caused you to be one of the only 115 people in Japan this week who chose to buy an <laughs> Xbox One over any other option that you that, that does so much better other than the Wii U, of course. Yeah. It's just interesting to me, like, why, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it's for comparison for what the Switch did the previous week, it was 49,913. So as I said, it was nearly double. If it, well, not quite. I'd say... Not quite double, yeah. Because yeah. uh, you need to get to 100,000, really, in order to double that. But still, 20,000 away from that 100,000 marker. And again, there was no big releases what caused it to sell? Unless people were buying these units so they could do this, the global test fire, which I could actually well, see yeah. that. 
I could see you that know, being a be reason. That. It, yeah, I mean, that, that could be, yeah, it could be about Splatoon 2. These could be people who were going to buy a Switch anyway, but then heard about the global test fire and wanted to get in on that. Um, but, it, you know, I'm not all that surprised that the Switch is doing as well as it is in Japan right now, only because of, you know, of what their culture there is like in terms of the fact that they highly prefer handheld devices and highly prefer mobile gaming devices over consoles. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's such, there's been such a an observable shift toward uh, mobile gaming in Japan over uh, consoles that the, the fact that the Switch is kind of the best of both worlds absolutely doesn't surprise me that it's taken off with Japanese consumers. I think mm-hmm. the key is, will it be able to maintain that? But with Mario Kart coming, I think it might. Yeah, I I, I think, like I said, it's a, it's a pretty dang good year for Nintendo for the first for the first year. Uh, the, it's just a lot of the stuff is spread out. But yeah. it's, you know, because, again, Mario Kart, ARMS, Splatoon, Mario... Xenoblade potentially, yeah. uh, and potentially if we get a Smash announcement at E3, the, I mean, we could be looking at having Mario Kart, Mario Smash, like it's Splatoon, all of these big franchise Zelda mm-hmm. on Nintendo's new console slash handheld in mm-hmm. the first year. <laughs> Fire Emblem Warriors, uh, that's still Fire coming. Emblem, yeah. yeah. It's poor Metroid. <laughs> that, poor Metroid. Maybe next year. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but still, Retro's working on though. something. <laughs> yeah. Now I know we we also have to you know pay mind to the fact that or pay heed to the fact that a lot of these games are going to be improved or glorified Wii U ports, so they're not brand new installments. But still, get, getting the latest versions of all these giant Nintendo franchises on the new system year one is really impressive if that's what ends up happening. Mm-hmm. Especially when you're able to, again, take them on a go, which is what appeals to the Japanese audience. So Exactly, yeah. It's it's good to see Nintendo doing so well. It's just keep things moving, keep uh, keep make sure the system stays in stock so they can actually sell the damn thing. Right, so I know. We'll see what happens, but... Um, yeah, well, speaking of a game that's coming out uh, this week, uh, Persona 5, which we've already mentioned a few times, but Atlas has announced... That Persona 5 will never allow PS4 streaming for that game because they want to avoid spoilers for people and whatnot. They want to keep the experience uh, completely fresh. And I, you know, I 100% respect and and am down with that. But for like, you know, a while, like six months, three months, I don't know. But forever, I don't know. Like I, Atlas has always seemed to me to have very way, way too draconian, uh, you know, rules in terms of you know going after copyright strikes and. Like, like you can like they put their logos on every single screenshot they release it seems mm-hmm. and it's like I get it you should protect your IP protect your pro- I totally get that but at the same time I feel like there's a point at which it crosses over into actively punishing your fans for wanting to express their love for what you're doing and I just I don't know I don't think that you shouldn't be able to stream Persona 5 I mean maybe for the first few months fine but like I don't know what makes Persona 5 so much more special than any other JRPG that comes out and you know like I mean you can you can debate the quality of like Persona 5 versus FF15 or whatever as long as you want that's not what I'm getting at I just mean I don't know why what what makes Persona 5 so special that it can't be streamed whereas other RPGs can be you know what I mean uh if I had to guess from Atlas's point of view it's their biggest franchise well no I don't mean from Atlas obviously from Atlas's point of view I just mean I don't know it just rubs me the wrong way it just it it puts kind of like a more of a self-important like well you know we're not going to let our game be streamed because we're better than that. And I know that's not really where it's coming from, but it's just, I don't know, banning streaming forever, at least from within the PS4 UI, just seems kind of mm-hmm. See, extra. Yeah, the, the length of time is the thing that seems weird to me. Yeah. Otherwise, I really don't have a 
problem with this because for one, yeah. I never use PS4 streaming. It's it's see, I actually thing. do only because my my streaming software sucks. But so I actually do. But yeah, I mean, I I agree with you though. It's really more about the length of time to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I mean, it's it's weird, but it's also it, right. I I completely understand it. It's not. It doesn't hurt me at all. I will never stream it sure. through the PS4 things. Like, good for you. I I have something else, and I could do it that way if I ever feel like streaming Persona 5. But this is one of those games where it's so long and so, I guess, personal of experience. In my, uh, well, and also, would you would you trust Atlas not to go after us if we did do a stream of it? That's the thing. It's like it kind of is – not only do they not allow PS4 streaming through the UI, but I feel like they would very, like, vociferously go after – anybody who streamed the game via other means i it's hard to say i i yeah. i'm always a little wary about atlas uh i was yeah. um made sh- you know because you know the, the just as a bit of a story whenever i first covered whenever persona 5 was first announced we did a discussion on it and we did and i did what i always did with nintendo stuff which was have the trailer on the background and then they have stills from that trailer to fill out the stuff so trailer beginning trailer at the end there we go and yeah. we uh, actually got a uh, copyright strike from Atlas because of that. And uh, for, right. for I, only time I can think of in in memory of the, uh, us getting a strike, and that was kind of terrifying. <laughs> you know, yeah, I remember to that. have that happen. So I mean, Atlas USA was totally understandable. Like Andre got in contact with them; they were like, "We understand," but this was coming from the Japanese side of things, and yeah. that's it. Took a little while to get that strike off. Eventually, it did come off. But it took a few months, and that was a little uh, uh, harrowing a bit. And it's always it's made me a little wary of Atlas as far as what I need to do. So when we when Ted did that analysis for us on Shimagami Tensei, uh, presumably five, uh, uh-huh. I made sure the vocals were down, and I was like, "All right, we'll see." I even checked in with the guy. I was like, "Hey, we're going to do this. Let us know if there's anything I shouldn't do." And he's like, "No, no, you should be fine." I was like, "Okay, <laughs> just making yeah. sure." But it does make you incredibly gun shy about that kind of thing, because um, you don't want to mess up at all and get yourself in trouble just for, by doing what you normally do for everything else. And yeah. uh, I, you know, I, I again, I kind of get it, but it's also. I'm advertising stuff here. Like, we were nothing but positive about Persona 5. That's the thing. And and I kind of think, like, I get the sense, or, like, the way I'm reading the situation is that Atlas USA probably campaigned super hard Mm -hmm. to uh, to Atlas Japan to try to get them to, like, lift that ban in the U.S. and just let... Because the culture here is different. We, you know, like, we stream everything. You know, there's... We have a culture of big YouTube streamers who do this, and people love watching them. And And I feel like Atlas USA probably tried really hard to get Atlas Japan to be like, no, don't have that ban enforced in the U.S., you know, mm-hmm. because the game's already been out anyway in Japan. And I feel like they tried, but Atlas Japan just didn't. They're like, no. Yeah, the Japanese culture does not quite understand streaming yet and that yeah. whole concept. So who knows what happens. Again, it's not a big deal for me. It's certainly not going to dissuade right. me from getting the game. <laughs> sure. No, no, no. Like not, it wouldn't me either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's eh, the way it is, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, the final bit of news we have here, and this is something just for me. This is something to make me happy. <laughs> um, uh, Sega announced that Valkyria Revolution is going to be released June 27th for $40. Hell yes. <laughs> nice. I'm just glad this game's getting re- re- uh, released here at all. Mm-hmm. So it, it's great that it's coming out. I am so happy for that. The fact that it's a budget title apparently is like cool. That's even more reason for people to pick this up because... 
I don't know. I don't know much about Valkyria Revolution. I looked at it, but it's just like I love Valkyria Chronicles so much. I have told people multiple times that the original is my favorite game on the PS3. It is, yeah, just that that good. And I got the second one, but I just couldn't get into the PSP, so I never really played through the second one. But I did buy it. Uh, but we also never got the third one, and I heard that really good things about that. I was like, I know them moving it to the PSP probably helped it in Japan. Did not help it in the States. And that's no, it sure didn't. And uh, I wish we'd get some sort of compilation, sort of like what Birth by Sleep did for you know, when it went to PS3 and PS4 uh, for Kingdom Hearts. Like, do something like that for Valkyria Chronicles 2 and 3, please. These games are beautiful, and I love this story, and just I need them. Uh, but at least we're getting yeah. Valkyria Revolution. Yeah, no, I love, I mean, I love that this series still has life here. You know, Sega's been really good about bringing some of their more, you know, l- l- narrower appeal franchises to the U.S., like Yakuza and Valkyria, and they continue to be. And I really, really appreciate Sega for that. Mm, yeah, so hopefully it works out. Hopefully it does well. I'm not sure if it will or not, but hey, I'll be championing that game because I cannot wait to play it. I. I I love that series so much. <laughs> or that game so much, I guess I should say, since I really only played the first one. But it, right. it left a damn good impression. No, well, and, and I'm just glad that this one's coming. And again, it seems like they're not necessarily being, um, I guess, being limited by having to frame everything around what happened in the first three games. Because I guess this is kind of like its own thing. It's like kind of like a side story or mm-hmm. I, alternate universe take on, on things or something. I'm not positive on that one like i'm okay. like i'm aware of it but i'm also kind of keep it kind of fresh so i can go into it sure nice yeah blind. no i hear you um but i know three was also kind of like kind of that idea where it was i think happening kind of simultaneously with the first one i can't remember yeah, so, exactly yeah well the, well the thing with three because i did the art book for it for udon the thing with three was that it takes place at the same time as one but it follows a different squad it follows a squad called nameless and they actually you find out that they're they help out with a lot of the things that you see in the first game. They're behind the scenes kind of helping helping out and helping making sure, I think, is it Squad 7? Uh, I what? think so. I'm not sure. Yeah, I can't remember, but but uh, whatever the, the main characters, uh, what's his name in the oh, first game? Oh, uh, start with a W. Uh, yeah, uh, well, man. Weiss? Welkin. Welkin, that's it. Yeah, so you find out that these guys in 3 were responsible for enabling Welkin's party to do a lot of what they do in 1. It's kind of cool the way it all ties together. Mm, it'd be really cool to see. And, of course, 2 yeah. is the actual sequel. See, right. see where Welkin and all of them are pick up after that. It's 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 just well done. So Yeah. Uh, I'd love to see it. We'll see. Yep. But for now, I will definitely be picking up Valkyria Revolution. I don't even care if I don't get to play it right away. I'll be picking it up just to support this series. Right. So, oh, and actually, doesn't matter. You said uh, this was something for specifically to make you happy. That does remind me that um, last week we talked about the Mega Man trailer, the Mega Man cartoon trailer, mm-hmm. and that I hadn't seen it yet. Well, I have seen it now, and I hate it. So there you go. <laughs> there's, there's my, there's my. I'm shocked. Shocked. Yeah. That right. You hate it. <laughs> that that meganized me thing. After hearing you told me about it, but then after hearing it in context, I just. It it bo- it just bothers me on some uh, deep primal level it, that I can't even. And doesn't pain doesn't it painfully hurt after to, to watch all that and then have classic Mega Man pop in over the logo? Yes, <laughs> it, that that pisses me off so much because they knew exactly what they were doing, and that's just ah oh, that bothers me. But I I still I will keep hope alive. I do think we're going to see another game at some point. I just don't know when. We'll see. We yeah. will see. Yeah. Uh, well, let's go ahead and get to our. Uh, 
suggested topics for this week. As always, for just $1 a month, you guys can support us on Patreon and offer up topics like the ones we're about to go over, and as well as get the podcast three days early every Friday. So with all that said, uh, who should start? Uh, I think you started last time, so I guess I can go first this time. All right. All right, so my topic this week comes from Ben Turney, uh, who asks, Hey, Game Explain, in the last episode, you were talking about how much you enjoyed being in Japan. I'm planning on going to Japan in a year or so, most likely by myself, and so I'm a bit nervous. Could you give me any tips on what going to Japan specifically is like? Such as, will my lack of knowledge of, of Japanese be a problem? Are there many franchise restaurants if I don't feel like eating Japanese food? Is it easy to get lost with the signs being in Japanese? That sort of thing. Uh, thank you for all your content. P.S. I actually first discovered you when you did your Batman Arkham Knight analysis <laughs> about two years ago. Do you remember why you did that game specifically? <laughs> so, first of all, thank you for being such a longtime fan and for following us for the past couple of years, and thank you for this question. Uh-huh. Um, Derek, do you know why we focused in on okay. Arkham Knight? Yeah, I'll take care of the Arkham Knight part, part okay. first. I, that, that, when I saw this, I was like, I had to laugh about that. So, nice. here's the thing. When Arkham Knight was first announced, I did that first trailer. I was coming off an Arkham City and Ar- Arkham, uh, you know, Arkham Asylum uh, high. I was really uh-huh. into it, and I saw this. I was like, "Oh, it's gonna, you know, I'm super excited for it. I want to take a look at it, see what it has, do an analysis for it." And um, that's sort of the reasoning why I was. I was. It was my attempt <laughs> to branch out beyond Nintendo, and it did all right. It didn't do yeah. great. Obviously, it got us a new fan in the form of Ben here, so I'm yeah. super happy about that. Thank good, you know, thank goodness totally it has, worth it. Uh, you know those benefits like that, but you know yeah. it just didn't do as well. And it's I, I, here's the weird thing: I find it really difficult to keep up with other companies' content. Not not like because because a lot of these other companies will just like put out here's a little bit of info, here's a little bit of info, here's a little bit of info, not like Here's a trailer. Yeah. Here's a trailer. Here's a trailer. And it, it got so much that I just couldn't keep up with Batman in such a in, – in an organized way while also maintaining the quality of analysis and making it worthwhile because not as many people watched it. Now, I was still – right. I still enjoyed Arkham Knight when it first came – when it came out. I, I don't know if it's the best in the series, but I did enjoy it. And, right. But that's just sort of my reasoning for why I did Arkham Knight. It's just one of those attempts to like, eh, let's branch out and see how it does. I'm like, all right, so people aren't super interested if you're not if from Nintendo sides things, which is, is kind of unfortunate, you know. And I know you should do the stuff that, um, you know, makes you happy. But with mm-hmm. analysis, it takes so much time. It's I need to make I need to combine the two. It makes me happy and has people watch. <laughs> right. Derek, haven't you learned that you can't say reasonable things like, well, you know, I'm not sure about Arkham Knight. It might not be the best in the series, but I still enjoyed it. No, you either loved it or you hated it. Mm-hmm. If you don't think it's the best in the series, you obviously hated it. Obviously. Yeah. Obviously. There's, you know, that's what just saying. That's how these things go. Ironically, it needed less Batmobile. <laughs> I, that's, I know that. I never got around to playing it, but that's, that's the common complaint I always hear about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of the rest of your question, Ben, uh, yeah, this is a great question because I've been to Japan twice now. And so I, and I love talking about it. Um, but in terms of any tips, I would say it depends on where in Japan you're going. Uh, I assume you're probably going to Tokyo, in which case, uh, you're fine. That Tokyo is super tourist friendly. So there are signs typically in both Japanese and English everywhere. Um, a lot of people in Tokyo will speak English and, and will be help you know, try to help give you directions. A lot of station, like train station employees, will be bilingual or, you know, generally in Tokyo, you're not going to have trouble asking around and finding someone who can help you out in English. 
However, that changes if you go to somewhere more rural and more rustic and, and traditional like Kyoto. Like Kyoto is beautiful and it's one of my favorite places I've ever been. And that's specifically why I'm taking my wife there next week. However, you, you should not, I, w- I don't know if I would make that your first destination only because it's very, it's much less tourist friendly. Um, very few people speak English there naturally. Um, and they're very nice. Like I, when I was in Kyoto my first time, I met so many kind people who would go out of their way to help me. Like I, I met this, su- such a sweet old lady who, I don't know what she was doing, but she was manning some station at a shrine and I didn't want her to leave. I was just trying to ask. And she like left the shrine with me. <laughs> she walked me out to the road. She pointed me down, you know, and she didn't speak a word of English, but you know, she would just went out of her way to help me. So I don't think you have to worry about getting lost, but I would say Tokyo is much more tourist-friendly than Kyoto or other more rural areas. Um, there are plenty of chain restaurants in Kyoto, or I'm sorry, in Tokyo, uh, McDonald's, you know, whatever. You'll find a lot of American chain restaurants. However, they are going to have the, typically their own kind of Japanese-ish menus. So, you know, you'll probably, you'll find a Big Mac or whatever, but you'll also find a lot of very specific Japanese McDonald's stuff too. And that kind of goes for all the American chains you'll see there. So there's like Starbucks, but you'll see a lot of Japanese themed drinks as well. You know, like cherry blossom frappuccinos, things like that. Um, You know, they have KFC, they have things. So yeah, you'll be fine. But I would highly, highly recommend that if you can just eat Japanese food, like you're in Japan, (laughs) unless you somehow hate sushi and ramen. Yes. Ramen is Chinese, but ramen is also a thing in Japan. Like, if you hate that stuff, fine, but you're going to Japan. Eat your way through that country, man. I'm telling you, that's what my wife and I do when we go, is we just eat our way through the country of Japan, and it is the most... I mean, because it's Japan, you can get sushi, the best sushi you've ever put in your mouth, for like half the price that you would get it here in in the States or wherever you are in the West. So, I mean, like, honestly, don't go to Japan to eat McDonald's or other American food. Go to Japan to eat Japanese food. Um, Let's see... Um, yeah, I, I asked, yeah, you won't get lost because in Tokyo because signs are in English and Japanese. I think that pretty much covered it. Um, I would say a, a couple of specific recommendations. There's a place called the Robot Restaurant in Shinjuku, and you absolutely, you have to go there. Like, it's, it's probably 70 bucks for a ticket. They call it the Robot Restaurant. Don't eat there. Eat before you go. It's disgusting food. But the <laughs> but the show part of it, it's basically like this little live show that you go down into this weird basement to watch. It, it's, I can't even explain it. Like, go to YouTube and just, like, type in Robot Restaurant Shinjuku and you'll see what I'm talking about. But it is absolutely something that I think everyone should experience if you go to Japan. So <laughs> do that. Um, in terms of gaming-related stuff, you obviously have to go to Akihabara. Akihabara is the nerd, the gaming district. That's where all the arcades are. That's where Super Potato is, which is the, uh, of course, the, the story, the, the most popular retro video game store that, you know, collectors know about. You definitely should hit, hit up Super Potato, go to Akihabara, play in arcades all day. Totally go there. Um, also, there's the Capcom bar, uh, which you might need to get a local to make reservations to get you in. But there's the Capcom bar, which is doing a Mega Man themed month right now. Uh, so I hope to be able to stop by there on our way to Kyoto. And then finally, there is the uh, Artnia Square Enix Cafe. And if you're a fan of anything Square Enix, they, it has its own crystal room, okay? They have <laughs> their own crystal with like their own materia surrounding the crystal. If you love Final Fantasy or Square, you've got to go to the Artnia Cafe. Trust me. So that's my spiel. I think I covered everything mostly. But, yeah, have a great time. It's so much fun in Japan. <laughs> yeah, I uh, when I went to Japan, uh, I was part of a guided tour. So they took us from Tokyo to, 
Kyoto to nice. Nara to uh, Nagasaki. I think of as a few that's a smaller place in there too. I uh, can't quite remember the name, uh, but got to enjoy hot springs. So that was nice. Um, <clears throat> and we had a free day in Kyoto and a free day in uh, uh, Tokyo. And the thing that they recommended to us as far as our tour guide was like, do not ask somebody if they speak English. Just start talking to them in English because Interesting. Japanese, a lot of Japanese people feel uh, self-conscious about their ability to speak English. And so mm-hmm. if you ask them, they're like, no, 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 no. That way they don't have to try to speak it. You know, they don't have they can avoid that situation, which is understandable. You know, it's like, right. I don't want to embarrass myself. But if you just start talking to them, they'll, they'll do it. And that worked for us. Like we were trying to like – uh, when I went, I went with my mother, and we were both trying to figure out how to like. We'd never really rode subways before at all, so our first experience right. was Japanese subways. Oh wow! Okay. Um, so we actually had like a crowd of three or four people around us trying to help us like figure out where we needed to go in order to get to one of the districts and whatnot. But once we once we figured it out, it was super easy. And uh, you know, just walking around Tokyo, I felt super safe. You know. And you'll be oh yeah it's, you'll be it's so safe you'll be fine on your own like you don't have to worry about that you you know it's yeah you know what I will say that there are certain areas of Shinjuku like actually where the robot restaurant is you you don't want to don't take any offers by anybody to go into a bar or you know whatever because they're often around there I'm gonna make it sound more dangerous than it is <laughs> it's not if you just keep walking and you know ignore them you'll be fine but there there is yakuza activity around there and and a lot of the time uh you'll get like yakuza agents trying to pull people not pull physically but getting getting people into bars to like you know buy them a few drinks and then get get them into something that you don't want to be in so <laughs> once you're done with a robot restaurant you know leave that immediate era, area before you go and do anything else like you don't necessarily want to be around there but yeah like generally you're f- going to be so safe in Japan i've never felt like i was and i, I would walk, i would walk around at night by myself and it was never a problem. So, mm. um, but I'm actually glad, Derek, that you brought up the uh, thing about asking Japanese people if they speak English, because there are a couple of other cultural things I learned, um, such as tipping. Tipping is not a part of Japanese culture, and in fact, it's considered rude. It's actually offensive if you offer to tip or tip. So don't tip. Don't leave a tip. Don't offer to tip. Just yeah, you go, you pay for the food you eat, and you leave. Like t- tipping is not part of Japanese culture. Mm. Um, the other thing I would say, which I learned on my last uh, trip there was um, when you're getting a cab in Japan, you don't want to open or close the door yourself. The, the driver, it's like a thing. You do, drivers don't want passengers touching their doors, their passenger doors. So cab drivers will typically either, they have like a button where they can open the door for you or they'll get out and do it, but never open the cab door yourself. They'll do it. So hmm. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you won't get yelled at or anything, but it's just something that you, you know, shouldn't do if you can remember not to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. And as far as the food, I, as somebody who is not a fan of seafood, uh, Japan was tricky for me, but I also was like open to trying stuff out. And I mm-hmm. think that going there with open mind, try it. You'll be surprised how much you like. Like I don't like seafood, yet one of the one of the meals that was there that I had no choice but to eat because it was just – we already bought it. It was part of the tour uh-huh. was sashimi. <laughs> so Oh, nice. So I was like, well, here we go. And, you know, it actually turned out. Pretty good. It actually kind of tasted like ham in my at least that's yeah. how I rationalized it or something like that because it was very well seasoned for being just raw. What was it? Salmon. <laughs> uh salmon. Yeah. Well, sashimi can be anything. Salmon, tuna, albacore. It can be sashimi is just basically cuts of raw fish. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you know, it's funny that you say that. I hate seafood. I cannot stand seafood. Restaurants like, but for for whatever reason, there's a difference, major difference to me between cooked fish and raw fish. I hate cooked fish, but for some reason. Sushi, raw fish, i it's just one of my favorite things in the world. So I would recommend if you have always identified as somebody who doesn't like seafood, still try raw fish as, as it's prepared in Japan. Stru- you know, try authentic Japanese sushi and sashimi because it's not like just seafood. You know what I mean? Like it mm-hmm. is – it's a different experience. So don't write it off even if you say you don't like seafood because it is very different. Mm-hmm. And definitely – Definitely try to find a ramen place because my god, it's, oh, it's yeah. delicious. <laughs> find, find a ramen place and find a fast food curry place. Both of those. Oh, I did have. I did have like, the yeah. curry. Yeah, that was really good as oh. well. Um, like, did it come from the machine? You like, you order from the machine and you got the ticket? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly yeah. what oh, I did. So good. Uh, it was really good. Uh, the other thing, as far as uh, franchise stuff of you know, franchise restaurants, it really like. There is a difference between McDonald's and what I would call sit-down places. Like, I don't know. Right. I No, I do remember. Outback. There was an Outback Steakhouse <laughs> that we went by. Right. And I was looking at the prices, and I th- I swear to God, if for like something you'd pay maybe 15, 20 bucks uh, US, um, was like 40 bucks in Japan. Yeah. Because uh, my mom... Not a fan of Japanese food. She was getting through it, but she was also tired of eating it. So she wanted something a little bit more recognizable. <laughs> so we saw the Outback, yeah. and then we they fortunately had a, the um, a menu outside, and we saw the prices. Like, well, not that one. I think we did yeah. end up going. Generally, to you're going to pay a premium for Western food. Mm. Like you, you'll, you'll pay end up paying a premium for Western food in Japan. Like there's yeah, I mean. I, w- I would say Japan isn't like necessarily the most expensive place you can go because I mean I spent a couple of months in in London as well and London is just unbelievably expensive to live in but with a conversion rate but I feel like you can live and eat pretty frugally in Japan if you know what you're doing and I just I would say yeah don't eat at a bunch of like big Western chain restaurants because you'll you'll uh, run up your food bill very quickly like that <laughs> yeah that's for sure uh, the other nice thing about ordering is like. You know, you're worried about menus and you're like, oh, I can't read this. How do I know what I'm getting? A lot of menus in Japan have pictures with the food. It's a good point. They do. So you'll be able to just like yeah. look and see, oh, I kind of have an idea what this is and just point to that and they'll get you that. So Yeah. It's- and if, if you're like a fan of anything in particular, and I mean anything, not just games, but like dogs or birds or whatever, there's probably a cafe for it in <laughs> Japan. So like look that up. If you love – there's like an owl cafe. If you love owls for some reason, they have that in Japan There's where you can like go and eat and then be around owls. There's like – there are dog cafes. There are you know maid cafes, butler cafes. Like there's a cafe for every interest and, and whatever. Just yeah, look it up if you have something that you love. <laughs> they probably have a cafe themed after it. Yep. So I want to go back to Japan. I'm extremely jealous, uh, Ash, and let's move on because I'm now just – I'm dying to go back. <laughs> nice, nice. So all right. Well, my topic comes from BB who says, Hi, Game Explain. I'm a new pa- patron and I love your content. When it comes to critiquing video games, I often see people base their judgment on the content and depth of the story, the presentation aesthetics, such as art style, music, etc., or just the gameplay itself and how enjoyable it is. I'm curious of these three, and which do you find, which do you value the most, and how would you rank them? So I, I thought this nice. was kind of interesting, just looking into the process of how we, we review things. And yeah. for me, it's, it really does come down on a game to be game game the game basis excuse me um so for for like an rpg i'm going to care a bit more about the story 
than I would for right. an adventure game. Uh, and when I structure, when I often structure my reviews, I often go introduction, story, gameplay, graphics, and sound, and then conclusion. And that's because I like to start with story because that gives you an idea of who these people are, and I can refer back to them, and you'll know who I'm talking about. And you know, nothing. It, it sort of just makes sense in my mind. But of course, there's lack of story, like. Fast RMX, you just get right into the gameplay. Exactly. Uh, that kind of thing. So, obviously, story doesn't really matter with something like Fast RMX or a platformer <laughs> or whatever, or a sports game. Yeah. But that's when you get into how good the gameplay is and how much everything else facilitates that gameplay to make it a lot more fun. But then if you get into a music game, all of a sudden the music becomes a lot more important to the overall experience. So, it right. really does come to a game to game basis about how it all works. And you sort of have an idea of exactly what you're looking for. Like with a platform, it's all about gameplay with maybe a fun, some fun characters, some fun side stories and fun, you know, just a game that really just makes you enjoy yourself, in my opinion. Racing, mm-hmm. you know, I want thrills. I want uh, to know exactly what I'm going into. I like ease of use and, of course, good music go along with it, that kind of thing. RPGs, a fun battle system and a, and a fun story, at least entertaining story that keeps me engaged a little bit and not scratching right. my head. That's kind of how I go about them in the most basic sense for a review. Yeah, I mean, this isn't going to be very interesting for my answer because I more or less agree with everything you just said. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it really does come down to a genre-by-genre genre basis for me. I mean, this again, a lot of this is just going to sound like I'm repeating you, but it really... Yeah, I fast RMX. I'm of course not going to put any stock into story or whatever. Like, yeah, it, it really does come down to genre, but... Yeah, you know, for a, for an RPG, I would say I would put story, characters, and music number one. Like if I'm if I'm really getting into a big big RPG that I'm gonna spend a lot of time with and get drawn into, I would I would probably rate like presentation at, in terms or like story, characters, and like music as being more important to me than the raw gameplay. But then that's completely flipped on its head if we're talking about you know. A lot of, not all platformers, but a lot of platformers or music games or adventure game, you know, whatever. It really does come down to a genre by genre basis. However, I would say that it isn't quite that cut and dry. Like, I was hearing what you were saying just now, uh, Derek, about, like, platformers. And that's true. Like, it's funny, reviewing ukulele, for example, I might not put that much emphasis on the story because the story is not a driving force necessarily to me. But something like Shovel Knight, like, even though it's just a platformer, the Yacht Club built that game for the to, to make the story part of the experience for it to be really important, and so I do you know I do take the story into account when reviewing Shovel Knight games, as you probably saw with my Specter of Torment review. Like if Specter of Torment had 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 a crappy story, that would have affected my review because Yacht Club made this game so, and, and are talking about the story as if it's an important part of the game. So it's part of the game's identity, if that makes any sense. Um, so it really, it, it isn't just as simple as genre by genre all the time. It can be game by game. Um, but yeah, I mean, at, at the same time, there are also RPGs out there where I would, you know, praise them for their specific gameplay mechanics, even when it has nothing to do with the story. Case in point, Bravely Second, which is another reason it was my favorite game last year. It didn't just have an amazing story and all an awesome soundtrack and all the things RPGs are known for doing well. It also innovated gameplay-wise, and I consider that a huge plus in a genre that isn't necessarily known for gameplay innovation. Mm. So it really does come down to a kind of a genre by genre, but also a game by game basis as well. Mm. I, I kind of get see what you're saying with uh, Shovel Knight. To me, like it's 
the story in in that kind of thing with platformers, it really is more of a bonus to me. Like I'll really yeah. I'll call it out and say hey, I really like this story. The characters are fun. This so and so, but I'm not sure how much a story like if let's say Spectre of Torment did have a bad story. If I and I was reviewing the game, I don't think that would affect my score. It's like I'll call it. I think yeah. I'll, well, not even score, but just a p- opinion of it. It's sure. like yeah, it's a little disappointing. But it's not as engaging or anything like that. But it's still the gameplay overrides all that and is still a lot of fun to play. So you totally. should totally pick it up and. I, I, but I can also see story really saving a game because look at Uncharted. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of the same-ish gameplay elements, and there's a few new things here, but it's not doing anything too new or anything like that. But that you get so involved in the characters and the storyline, then you're a little bit more forgiving because you're along for the ride. Yeah, I mean, un- un- something like Uncharted is basically it's it's a vehicle for gorgeous set pieces. A and this, um, you know, the story and these characters that you care about. B, like if, if Uncharted didn't have that story element to it, or didn't have these characters you loved, I like I don't think it would be as interesting. So I feel like if if Uncharted Four had come out and completely blown it on story and characters, I think that would have heavily affected a lot of people's reviews, and rightly so, because that story is such a heavy part of Uncharted's identity. But yeah, like I, I do, I agree with what you're saying, like about Shovel Knight. Like I, it would not have. Like a, a bad story, Inspector of Torment would not have turned a good review into a bad review for me. It like I would still weigh story less than gameplay, but it would still affect me to a degree. Like it, that, like a really crappy story in Shovel Knight might be enough to take it from like a love it to a like it a lot or a like it for me, but it wouldn't t- take it from a love it to like meh or bad, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it, it it also depends on you know I also weigh things individually as well. Like yeah, even though it's a platformer and I, I feel like story is a part of Shovel Knight's identity, at the end of the day, it's still a platformer and I'm, I'm still going to weigh story far less heavily than I am going to weigh gameplay. Mm-hmm. And I also want to make note, at least for myself, I don't, like when I'm playing a game, I don't think about like, ooh, how's the story? Ooh, how's the gameplay? Right. Ooh, how's the music? It's, you're taking it all in at once and really like just, like I'm really just experiencing it as I'm going through, playing as if I normally would. Yeah. It's not like, hmm, gameplay is not fun here, minus five points or exactly. that kind of thing. It's not yeah. like starting at 100 and working your way down. It's <laughs> it's experiencing the game and then yeah. thankfully with our system, the how we uh, more or less grade things, it's like, how did I feel about this game? How would I t- – like if I was talking to Andre and Ash, what would I say to them? Well, right. I liked – I liked – uh this game, I liked this game a lot, and I loved this game. That kind of thing. Yeah. Or you're just the opposite. It's like, oh, this is so bad. This is, no, I don't <laughs> like it at all. Uh, that yeah. kind of thing. It really is just, you want to note all of it for the written review because people are curious about that kind of thing. But I don't mm-hmm. let the individual elements color me at the time. Although right. it is possible, like you get through, like, Yoshi's New Island. <laughs> you get to the main, <laughs> you get to the main, uh, the, uh, music and you hear that freaking song and it's just like yeah. oh no music bad music bad it's not good at all and just that kind of thing like it'll still stand out but it's not something I actively look for it's like hmm time to listen to the soundtrack for this long to see if I get some emotional response out of me it's like no how memorable is it looking back at uh, my playtime with it how much do I remember the music and how much is it did it affect me that kind of thing yeah yeah, you know, and, and it, it can be really tricky weighing certain elements, too. Like, for example, personally, 
graphics are not something that like I you know I, I I'm not a graphics whore. I don't have to have the best graphics in every game. Like and graphics are are probably the least likely thing to improve a game for me. Like I I I always appreciate fantastic graphics, and I'll always call them out in review as being wonderful. But I feel like they're the least likely element to affect my overall score. But how but the inverse is not necessarily true. Like I while I won't necessarily you know, dock a game for having bad graphics, if those bad graphics actively or bad performance or whatever actively detract from the experience, then I will dock the game for that. Mm-hmm. So it's it you know again, it's, there's really no hard rule. There's no hard fast guide to reviewing video games. It's very much a an individual person by person, you know, everyone has their own style and there's no rule. There there's no rule book. There's no right or wrong way to do it. I mean I think there are certain right or wrong ways you can do it, but I don't think there's any one correct way to review games. Mm-hmm. I think there's several correct ways. And I think there's room for people's individual preferences and styles and and other things to shine through. And don't don't let anyone sell you the lie that uh, that the best reviews are unbiased. Yeah. There's no such thing yeah. as an unbiased review. Exactly. Literally, it does not exist. Any Anybody's review of anything is colored by their own inherent biases, whether they know it or not. Mm-hmm. So d- definitely don't think like, a, you know, my review has to be unbiased to be good. No, there's no unbiased review. You still have your own biases <laughs> that you're working with, you know? Yeah. So, you know, that, that's but that's good, though, because that means that your voice is unique from everybody else's. You have your own biases. Nobody else can offer that unique perspective but you. Mm-hmm. So I think bias is a good thing, personally. Yeah, I mean, my look at critics or looking at stuff that's review and I'm looking for somebody who shares my taste, you know, that these yeah. biases will help you find the critics that match yours. Oh, this, per- exactly. this person likes this game, not a fan of this game and kind of didn't like this game. And like, okay, I kind of agree with that one and about that. It's like, okay, I have kind of similar taste so I can see what he's coming from. So yeah, let's do that one. And you know, you see that's what's always maddening to me is like when you see somebody is like, did not have a good time with the game and scored it lower than everybody else. But that's just where he was coming from. And that's necessar- not necessarily bad. It's just that's what no. that person thought. And I, I was, I've was i been hearing uh, Laura Kate Dale catching some flack from people that how dare she score Persona 5 as an 8.5 rather than the 9s that everybody else is getting. I'm like, really, guys? Really? God. Like, that's an 8.5 yeah. is still an excellent score to me. Like, no, the, well, up. review culture. I hate review culture. Like, it's just, I mean, it, these are the same idiots who are spending time on Metacritic, like, you know, uh, meta-bombing Zelda and Horizon because, you know, the fan bases are at war and, Ugh. you know, Zelda has too many good reviews on Metacritic. So we got we to gotta meta-bomb Zelda so that its Metascore <laughs> drops below Horizons. Mm. Like, what, what, yeah. give me that much time in, in my day, please. <laughs> give me enough time to have li- so little to do that I could just spend all day on Metacritic doing this because I could get so much done. I don't understand it. I don't understand review score culture. Oh, I just don't. I know. I know people were deathly just upset. <laughs> like they were. I, I'm pretty sure they were making threats against Jim Sterling Jeez. when he gave a lower score. He did not enjoy Breath of the Wild as much as other people, and I a lot that, of people yeah. blamed him for lowering its overall Metacritic score so that was Breath of the Wild was no longer the number two best-reviewed game of all time. Uh, and it fell just that little bit so that Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 took over. I'm like, who cares? It's still number three. Yeah. Who cares if it's number even, two? I, like, I desperately wish, desperately <laughs> wish I had so little to care about mm. that that was the most important thing in my day, that I was so... The, the thing in my day that I'm so angry and up in arms about is Zelda being 
number three on Metacritic instead of number two. Like, <laughs> God, I wish I had that little to worry about. Yeah, so I don't. I, I just do not understand that mentality I, whatsoever. And that's you know one of the reasons we don't really go for hard scores. It's because it, it's just yeah. to emphasize how much of this is just us. This is how we feel. Yeah, like it's how we feel about a game, and we encourage you to take into account how you know our patterns about how we feel about games like you know i if i have read reviews from people about about of miku games saying well this is so boring this is stupid weeaboo crap okay that's your opinion and and i respect that that's where you're coming from but i would never take that reviewer's opinion into account in the future because obviously our opinions don't align like obviously Mm -hmm. so if you know if your opinions don't align with me i would expect you to put less stock in my reviews you know, same with, and I think the same could be said of all of us. I think we all feel that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just you, you can't base it on, and especially don't like the comparisons between like I know we're all over the under the overarching game explained line, but and so people will look at like, oh my gosh, right. uh, shovel the specter of torment got a love, but Breath of the Wild oh, right. only got a like a lot. That's different. <laughs> that is completely yeah. Because Andre viewed one, you reviewed the other. It's a little bit... It's two different people. Exactly. That's like... Yeah. You have to look at I took that some heat. game. <laughs> I took some heat in the comments for my Spectre of Torment review because, yeah, like somebody was saying, well, wow, Game Explain thinks you know, Spectre of Torment is better than, than uh, Zelda because you loved it versus liked it a lot. No, it's two different people. <laughs> and then when I said that, they, they snapped back with, well, yeah, but it's under the Game Explain banner, so what you're essentially saying is that Game Explain believes that no. Shovel Knight's better. And like, no, that's not what we're saying. We're still individual people. It can be both. We can be under the same banner, but still, EGM did that for years. Mm-hmm. Like, so many publications have done that, or so many outlets. Like, it's not unheard of to have different people with different leanings and different opinions on games under the same banner. I mean, that's why... You know, would you necessarily want Andre reviewing a new Mega Man game? I know I wouldn't because he doesn't. It's not what he wants to do. But would you? Would you really want me reviewing? I don't know a new Advance Wars game. No, you sure wouldn't because I don't care about Advance Wars, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's totally okay to have different people with different gaming habits under the same banner, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. It makes it more interesting because now all of a sudden, yeah. uh, when uh, you know. Mega Man comes out, we have you. When Advance Wars comes out or some sort of strategy game, we have me. When Mario right. comes out, that's Andre. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I guess the difference, that the difference there is that Andre reviews the games that we also would be happy to <laughs> well. That is also the, the, true. But the inverse is not true <laughs> at all. Like, Andre's happy not to review the games that we do, but we're, we would both love to review, like, Mario Kart 8 or whatever, you know. <laughs> eh, sometimes it works in my favor. I don't have to fight anybody that's to review uh, Xenoblade Chronicles X. <laughs> that's very true, yeah. And I don't ever, I don't have to ever fight you for music games, so yeah. that's always nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. yep. So hopefully I answered your question. But uh, our last topic for uh, this week comes from Jeff Edelstein, who says, "Hey guys, Zelda: Breath of the Wild has really impressed me, not just as a gamer, but from a game design standpoint. Between the larger-than-life world to explore and the small incidental tasks, it allows for both home console style and mobile gaming approaches to its gameplay." This takes such great advantage of the hybrid functionality of the Switch to be utilized in either context that I can't help but wonder how other big Nintendo titles will do it. For example, what do you think Super Mario Odyssey will need to hit us need to do to hit that sweet spot in supporting brief and long play sessions? Thanks for all that you do. Long live Game Explain. So thank you very much for that. <laughs> thank Always you. Uh, appreciate the comments. And it's funny that you mentioned that how it works very well for the Switch, how it work, uh, Zelda is good for both long sessions and short sessions, especially since it's also for the Wii U, and that's not what it's designed for. It just 
happen yeah. to work out that way that you can enjoy it that much and do those sessions. And who knows, maybe it was planned that way or not, but it is it does feel good that you can make small accomplishments or small discoveries and keep your way go uh, keep your uh, time going. Um, and the funny thing is, uh, for your example with Mario Odyssey, I think if it's already following the Super Mario 64, Super Mario Sunshine way of doing things for Mario, it's already hit that sweet spot. Because, right. you know, we can do the long play sessions where we go after star after star after star or whatever the collectible is or do everything we can. Or we can do it like Super Mario 64 and play, oh, I'll get these two stars and this session and move on to do something else because I'm on the train or whatever. And I think it works out. It naturally works out that much where you can become addicted and just want to keep playing, hopefully, Mario Odyssey. Or you can do it in small sessions while you're going to other places because the game works out in bite-sized formats. Right. Yeah, no, this is actually a, actually a great question because I was I hadn't really I had thought about the fact that Zelda is great for both kinds of, of, of sessions, but I hadn't really thought about that how how it fits into the Switch and how other, you know, franchises in the future might fit into that framework. So this is a great question and I in terms of Mario specifically, um I well as I was saying, I've been nursing a playthrough of uh, or a second playthrough of Shovel Knight uh, Plague of Shadows and I the other day I had com- completely forgotten the fact that there's a challenge mode built into Shovel Knight because I just don't I haven't paid attention to it and I was like oh you know what I'm gonna go mess around with challenge mode and there are these really fun little bite sized challenges that you can tick off on a list and just do them as you want to and they were a lot of fun and they they there's of course no story to them no context you're not it's not part of a bigger adventure these literally are mini stages designed to test specific skill sets in the game and. I feel like things like that would work perfectly for Mario. Like, you know, section off parts of existing worlds, you know, reuse reuse assets, that's fine, but section off parts of existing worlds and build new challenges within them, little bite-sized challenges to do on the go. I think that could be fun, and I don't know how they would reward you, maybe reward you with, I don't know, if there's like an in-game currency like coins, maybe reward <laughs> you with extra coins or one-ups, I don't know. Well, I know there will be one-ups, but you know what I mean. Like, just, yeah, small bite-sized platforming challenges in little sectioned-off corners of these established worlds in the main game and i think that could be a fun way it's i guess that would be kind of similar to what nintendo did for uh new super mario brothers u where they had these like little challenges in you know Mm -hmm. existing levels where you would have to like don't fall in a pit or don't you know you can you can't touch the ground for more than x amount of time you know stuff like that i think that would work well for mario yeah i could totally see that work and there's a lot of things they can do just because the mario format is so open like that uh, they could do extra stuff. They could just do whatever, and it'll all kind of work out in the end. And as for other franchises, like I'm trying to think what else might work in that way. But uh, like even Kid Icarus, like the way Kid Icarus Uprising was sectioned off in, on the 3DS, totally works uh, for the Switch, where you could do long sessions or short, short, short sessions. And I think Nintendo's... Um, experience in the handheld market will really help them with this and sort of come up with games that sort of take advantage of that. Now, that's not to say everything should be, shouldn't be like that, or, you know, can't be like that. Uh, I mean, Xenoblade Chronicles 2 might work out in that way. It might not. Hard to say at the moment because we really don't know much about it. I'm not sure how well a Metroid game would work in that format, that kind of thing. But I think for the most part, just because of the ne- way people naturally do it, they, I think there's, they can still get a lot of satisfaction out of a particular game, both in the handheld form and in the console, mo- console mode. 
Yeah, like I don't think you necessarily have to. You know, I, I don't think every game has to start out for the Switch like with an eye toward making sure it's both fun to play at home and on the go. I think that can just occur naturally for a lot of games. Like even like you know, like going back to Super Mario Odyssey, even if it didn't have some kind of challenge mode built in. I would be perfectly happy, just as happy playing that at home on the TV as I would on the go as long as I had headphones. Like, same thing with something like Zelda. It isn't just because, like, I'm not only doing short-term tasks on on the go. Like, I'm not only doing shrines on the go. I'm still making long-term progress on the go, too. So I, I don't really feel like I need games to be built specifically with an eye toward, you know, excelling both at home and on the go. I think for a lot of games, that's just going to occur naturally. Yeah, I think that's that makes sense. And I don't know. It all kinds of works out. It'd be very interesting to see how the Switch comes on into its own as time goes on. That's true. I, and I will say that despite the, you know my feeling that a lot of that might occur naturally, I do think that Switch games should probably be designed with an emphasis toward being able to start and stop whenever you want. So, you know, being able to save any time or at least making sure that your game works fine with sleep mode like stuff like that it's less about the content of the game i think than it is the mechanics of the game allowing you to start and stop whenever you want just that flexibility Mm, absolutely and i think i think we're already seeing that and hopefully it's remains the case because again this it's awesome to be able to take mario kart on the go mario mario on the go go uh like like a full-fledged mario um Xenoblade on the go would be amazing. Yeah. So, you know, it's, I I don't know, there's a good basis here, and it'll be very interesting to see how Nintendo builds upon it, and other companies as well, because if we've seen anything from Bravely Default, Square Enix might be able to find some way to really take advantage of this, so... They already are. See, the Seiken Densetsu collection, which, God, I need that to come here. See, that's something Mm. that I feel (laughs) is perfectly built for the Switch more than other consoles. Like, a a Secret of Mana collection wouldn't be that exciting, I don't think, on the PS4 or Xbox One, but because of that multiplayer... You know, that multiplayer identity of Secret of Mana, that three-player functionality, that's something that's really exciting on the Switch specifically. So I think there are ways that companies can look into their back catalogs and be like, hey, this is a particularly good fit for the Switch because, yeah, I mean, hey, we got a three-player Super Nintendo game here. Like, that works. You know, <laughs> so I think there are kinds of games that are absolutely suited to the Switch, and I think Square's onto something here by specifically going and saying, hey, we're going to bring the old you know, the the first three secret of mana games to the switch like that is a very specifically good move over and above saying hey we're just gonna port like you know hey here's ff6 on virtual console that's also cool but this is something that's like specifically made for what the switch is built for mm-hmm. so we'll see exactly what happens but again off to a promising start and we'll see how it actually uh falls out there's still a lot we don't really know about the switch or like who knows how virtual console is going to shake out or anything like that so we'll see Damn you, by the way, though, Derek, because as if, damn you for bringing up Kid Icarus, because as if I don't already spend enough time wishing for Kid Icarus Uprising on Switch, <laughs> like, now I, now you've just given me yet one more day where I'm going to be thinking about it and thinking about, man, I really want Kid Icarus Uprising <laughs> on the Switch. So thank you for that, for giving me another day to think about Oh, that. no problem. That's what you get for going to Japan without me. So That's true. I, I deserve that. Yeah. Uh, but all right. I think that takes care of it for... Uh, this week's episode so again thank you guys so much for listening and hope you enjoyed all this and as just another reminder for just one dollar a month you guys can support us on patreon and get these podcasts three days early every friday as well as offer up topics like the ones we just answered so yeah thank you guys for tuning in and we'll see you next time for episode 55 till then bye